They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we are joined by the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, Dan Crowley. He's also the executive editor of the Greenfield Recorder, the Athol Daily News, and the Amherst Bulletin, both newspapers of New England. And we are so pleased he can be with us today because I want to go back for a moment to what I said and Buzz said and our guests said on this show very recently about what was happening in Amherst and the uh, conflagration that has happened with the school committee and the town over resignations and the resignation of the superintendent of schools, the resignation of school committee members, the complaints brought against the town, uh, individuals and employees who have been uh, suspended effectively from the town. What a story and what a complicated story, but at its core, are kids being treated right? And then did adults act responsibly and well in protesting this? The answer to that, I think, well, we can get to that. But Bill, the, there's good news. There's going to be an investigative report coming out. And we said that. And we said, and the really crucial part, what's really important here, is that the report and its conclusions be made public so we all can know what happened. Front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Title IX school report won't be public. So... Dan Crowley, as the executive editor of the Gazette, how are you going to find out? How is the Gazette, as the newspaper of record for this region, going to tell us what happened, why it happened, who's responsible, if anyone, what went wrong? How are we as a community supposed to know? Because it's not only crucial for Amherst and the Amherst schools, it's vitally important for all schools across the region. How are we going to get this story? Which is to say, how are you going to get this story? Well, it's... uh with that lead-in, it, it, it's it's a pretty important story. It's a big story in Amherst. Uh, it's also one that uh, has interest outside of Amherst in our region, um, and uh, and that's why it's on the, this latest one is on the top of the fold today in the paper. Um, I think that uh, was a big sigh. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you know, obviously, the, there's a lot of uh, interest in in who knew what and when and and how did they get there and uh, you know who's who's responsible for for some of the things that went on here, um, and I think you know in today's story one of the key uh, this is the super interim superintendent um, telling the school committee this week that um, don't expect much from this report when it comes out, uh, citing personnel reasons. Um, we're working on what can and can't be made public. I think that's kind of a key um, statement there. Uh, and we're going to certainly push to uh, figure out what can and can't be made public uh, based on, you know, public record laws and, and, uh, and all that. So, and um, so, you know, Scott Mersbach is on it. He's been chronicling this um, uh, for, for several months now. Um, as you mentioned, uh, some of the people that have resigned have been somewhat public. We had at least one, maybe two um, guest columns explaining their perspective. Uh, I think you might have had somebody on the show um, talking about uh, giving their perspective on what transpired from, from their point of view. So it's, it's a story that's on our front burner, and um, we're, we're uh, going to be pushing to try to provide the public as much as information as we can as, it, as this continues to develop. Does the Gazette make public records requests? 
Yeah, we do it quite quite frequently, um, and and as with any public records request, there's all kinds of uh, results. They, we, we, we get things turned sometimes over. Sometimes you win, we, sometimes you lose. I got it. We get things turned over. We get things that, that, that sit there and get stuffed in a drawer. We, we, um, we have a back and forth sometimes with, with what might need to be redacted from public records. The, um, the, in this case, with the Title IX report and any other investigations that are going on in the Amherst School District, um, certainly, if things are released, we're we're expecting that there'll be some heavily redacted um, um, parts of it. And and I think in this particular report today, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, some of it is so difficult to release. The school district is saying that. Uh, even with redactions, they can't release it because you can't. You, you can tell the story there. You so. can figure out who yeah. they're talking right. about. Yeah, I mean, I think that what needs to be done is that there needs to be a statement from the lawyer from the school committee. Here's why it can't do it. Here's the law that says we can't yeah. do it, and so on. So at least there's some explanation <clears throat> saying, oh, the lawyer told us. That doesn't cut it for me. I want to know the reasoning. I want to know the cases. I want to know why it is you say that the supervisor of public records in a superior court wouldn't order you to release these. And isn't every kind of investigation and implicitly, doesn't it implicitly relate to some individual? And can't you say, well, we're going to give up no information about any investigation because it could affect somebody's job. It's a personnel record. And personnel records are private, and, and therefore we're not going to release anything. I mean, it seems to me that it is... It just smacks of lack of transparency. And but it seems to me, Dan Crowley, Crowley, that what what can be done is so much of it as can be released could be released. It and could, should have been released on day one. This is everything we can give you. What kind of this is? We're not going to give you anything, and we'll figure out what we can do, and we'll let it dribble out over time. What I, kind just, of, I just want to finish my paragraph, which is that on the national level, what I saw when I was working on uh, classified information is they would release what they could mm-hmm. and then say there's a portion of it that can't be released. And sometimes they'd be able to tell you, describe what it is that couldn't be released. And sometimes you didn't know. But that can easily be done in this case. Yeah, I mean, in, in the state's public records law, um, they should be, the records holder should be citing the exemption uh, why, of why they're redacting or withholding information. Um, there are a lot of Title IX complaints all over the place in the higher education system uh, elsewhere, and they don't see the light of day. They're not written up as a report in a newspaper, but this one obviously is high profile, and um, there, there are allegations of harm uh, in, 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 you know, intertwined with this. So I think um, <clears throat> it, it sets itself out as a, in a different category. Um, Dan Torres? Yes, I wanted to ask you, do you ever have to sue? You ever have to go to legal and take lawyers and get get that involved to get the documents? Uh, no, we haven't. Um, not in recent, not in recent years, we've we haven't done that. So. Yeah, we Th- should. There have been cases in the past when the Gazette has done that. Uh, it's rare. Yeah, we should point out that the way this works is someone makes a public records request. The uh, municipality, the public entity, has a certain number of days to respond, and. If they provide the documents that are requested with, in redacted form, they, in fact, have to cite, do have to cite uh, the specific part of the law that says this is not subject to disclosure under the Public Records Act. Then there is an appeal to the supervisor of public records, but you don't have to appeal there. You can appeal directly to superior court as well. 
regardless of what happens with this report, and again, I think just think this is so badly handled in terms of its release, that uh, the Gazette could still do its own investigation subject to resources being available to do that. And I'm wondering if that is part of the thought process from where you sit, Dan Crowley, as executive editor. If the town won't tell us what happened, maybe we have to go out and try to find out ourselves. Yeah, like I said, we're, we're going to do everything we can um, outside of here's the report or here, here we're not giving you the report to, to get as much information as we can. Um, you know, I, I do think there's been um, a, a fair amount of information that's come out given the, the complexity of this and how many people want to talk about certain aspects of it. But it's it's those finer details um, that that still that are still kind of buried there under the under the surface. So we're we're um, we're talking about it in the newsroom about uh, where to go next with the story after this um, this latest report, which is certainly a, a significant development in the in the story. Scott Mersbach's story, front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, I thought had a really great summary of what had happened. So let me share just a couple sentences from Scott's story. It's, he, said, he writes this, Attorney Ed Mitnick, Executive Director of Just Training Solutions, has been looking into the alleged mistreatment of trans and non-binary students in the middle school since last spring when counselors at the middle school were reported to have gauged in transphobic actions. By the way, we should note that report was first disclosed by the student newspaper at the high school. Fabulous work, fabulous journalism by the uh, Amherst High School uh, newspaper and the students who write for it. It goes on to say that the failure to respond to those transphobic actions uh, were part and parcel of a bigger story or a bigger uh, conundrum, problem, uh, discrimination, a series of discriminatory actions uh, that included introducing prayer into the high school along with gender-based bullying and the transphobic actions. Three staff members were placed on leave, as was Assistant Superintendent Doreen Cunningham, who had been in charge of human resources. Superintendent Michael Morris resigned from his position at the end of August after facing criticism from some in the community over his handling of the reported treatment mistreatment of LGBTQ students. His departure came with a joint statement with leaders of the regional and Amherst school committee that there was no wrongdoing on his part. What a story. And so many people who want to talk. And I find it incumbent on the school committee to say everything they can. It's enough already of the uh, months and months of, we, oh, we can't talk, there's an investigation. Now we have a completion of the investigation, and we can't talk because there was an investigation. It drives me nuts. Yeah, it should drive you nuts. Uh, Dan Crowley, will you be covering uh, Doreen Cunningham's uh, complaint with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination? She claims that she was wrongfully uh, and discriminatorily treated. Um, it, will that story be covered by the Gazette? I think uh, the results of it will. Um, will from time to time report on a fact that a complaint has been filed if it's tied up into another a, a larger story like this one um, but we typically will let MCAD um, adjudicate that and uh, you know as they do and and it, it, you know it's a complaint there's another side to it um, and you know when when that's over with yeah if there's if there's something to report there we'll 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 get it out. 
More on this, or should we go on to murder? <laughs> Let's go on to uh, murder instead of uh, non-disclosure. Well, I think let's do that on the other side of this break. Let's tease what we're going to be talking about. The other front page story, I think of specific note today, jury hears Rintala deny pouring paint, defendant's wife found covered in it, video shows circuitous trip to Holyoke, to Holyoke Mall on day of murder. James Pentland, a, a staff writer for Gazette, has been covering the uh, Rintala retrial since its beginning, it's been very in-depth reporting on a very important case. This is the fourth time that Cairo Wintala is being tried for murder. Really incredible. Four this times. one murder. The first two trials resulted in a hung jury. The third trial resulted in a conviction for first-degree murder, but the Supreme Judicial Court overturned that conviction on the basis of improper introduction of very important to the jury evidence that was inadmissible and unreliable and therefore the Supreme Judicial Court reversed and sent the case back for a retrial. This is the fourth trial. We're going to be speaking about that right after this break. I have heard rumors all over town. They say that you're planning to put me down. All I'd like you to do Tell me that it isn't true This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. One of the most important voices in modern Chilean music is coming to UMass. Nano Stern at Falker Auditorium, Monday, October 2nd. It was 50 years ago, the fall of 1973, when a military coup d'etat removed the popular elected president, Salvador Allende, ushering in 17 years of brutal oppression under the right-wing dictator, Augusto Pinochet. Singer, poet, teacher, and activist Victor Jara was tortured and killed, his body tossed in the street. At this appearance at UMass, Nano Stern will perform songs from his latest album, Nano Stern Canta a Victor Hara, plus the North American premiere of We Will Be Singing by September, a documentary on the history and transcendence of Chilean protest music during the socialist government of Allende. Nano Stern will engage the audience in a dialogue about the film and the influence of resistance music. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. Chilean singer and political activist Nano Stern, Monday, October 2nd, Balcar Auditorium at UMass Amherst. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. 
We continue our conversation with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, as well as the Greenfield Recorder, the AFL Daily News, and the Amherst Bulletin. I want to turn to the second headline in today's Gazette front page, jury hears Rintala deny pouring paint. A lot of coverage being given to the retrial of uh, Rintala. Why and how do you decide that that is a story that should be over a long trial front page news almost every day? Well, it's a it's a important case uh, that that people are interested in here. Uh, we've we've we're we're sure of that, and um, we have James Pentland, a veteran reporter that's been uh, covering this trial for the fourth time. Um, well, we've been covering it now for the fourth time, not James. But um, you know, this first week we we thought we'd bring people up to speed with with keeping it out there. Um, peop- uh, the public isn't in the courtroom every day. Uh, for those people that are interested in it, they can pick up the paper, read about what happened uh, from day to day. Here, it may not be on the front page every day, but for now, um, we we felt like um, it's been a, a, a pretty um, interesting uh, first first week uh, there and and it's really an unusual case having having been someone having been tried four times yes I've never heard of it before and I think it is the rarest of rare exceptions uh, in the in the in the Commonwealth in the history of the Commonwealth I I am I I will say too it's a case too that that outside of the the actual um, incident here um, a, a case that that involves our law enforcement community and 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 they're they're taking the stand and 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 how um you know that operates in a in a case like this when there's a when there's a you know a, a homicide murder scene that that kind of stuff so i think there's there's a there's some other um elements to the case that i i think is um of great interest to people i'm wondering if you have some thoughts as the executive editor of the local papers of record whether your coverage could influence the jury one way or another. Uh, the jury's not supposed to read the newspaper, but my goodness, when you put it on the front page of the Gazette, and we talk about it here on the show, and other media covers, that it seems covers the trial. It really seems difficult for that somehow to not seep into the consciousness of the jurors, and I'm wondering if that's a concern of yours. Well, it's, it's something uh, that we... Are cognizant of and think about, and and these James is I think done a James Pentland has done a great job of going in there and 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 reporting what's going on, and being very fair about it. And and when we're editing and reading these stories, um, once he's filing them, they're getting very very closely read and edited to make sure that they are, as you know, spot on um, in terms of um, you know. Keeping keeping any <laughs> any bias out. I think all of these stories have had um, uh, some uh, a lot of balance between the prosecution and the defense, um, and uh, and he's trying to really pull out sort of the highlights of the day each day in the trial to to keep people up to speed on on how this case is moving along. It's hard though to have that balance. The prosecution introduced this evidence. The defense questioned about that. Uh, there's a limited s- amount of space for the story, and it all can't go in. How d- how does he, as a reporter, uh, James, as a reporter, try to achieve that balance to make it sound fair so it's not favoring one side or another? 
Well, it's it's our job. It's what we do. Where 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 we he's been he's done this before. Um, he's 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 um, <clears throat> he's uh, experienced at it, um, and we're happy that he's been able to go in there and, and cover this case for us. Uh, so um, it, it's really uh, you know I I, th- I think exp- I think experience and the responsibility of of going in there and, and providing a balanced report is is what is what's driving that. The, the other thing that, that was newsworthy, and I, frankly, it, it, it's no longer newsworthy. Uh, when this case first was publicized, the fact that it was a same-gender marriage with two women and there was a murder in the marriage actually was being discussed a lot. I would hear people over coffee talking about that. And I think it's, in some perverse ways, good news that that's no longer the subject of our of our interest that that's no longer newsworthy. Yeah, I, it's not It's not something that is at the forefront of our minds in the newsroom, I can tell you that. 20 and years per post uh, <laughs> Goodrich, right. And I, you know, and to, I think you're right. I mean, this case, I don't know if it was after the first or the second time it was tried, ended up on um, uh, NBC Dateline or something like that. I was, a, there were, you know, it became one of those national, um, right. sh- national um, drama shows. Well, talking about being fair, I will tell you that I turned to the editorial page today to see who had what to say about downtown Northampton and the new plan and was shocked, shocked, Dan Crowley, (laughs) not to find a letter, at least one, uh, published about the new downtown plan. I would be interested to know, because there isn't one today, again, it is the rare exception these days to not have some comment on the downtown plan. How do you keep that in balance? And do you try to uh, represent on the opinion page the number of letters that you get in favor of the plan versus the number who are opposed to the plan? How do you work out that as the community newspaper? Well, I think, first of all, I think... we need, you need to break it up a little bit sometimes. There's certainly a lot of people that aren't interested in the Main Street redesign that, you know, live in East Hampton, Chesterfield, Worthington, wherever. But, um... Well, yeah, yeah, and, and, and that that's true. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a story that's of real, real importance to downtown, to Northampton. Yeah. Uh, perhaps less, but a lot of people in, in the region come to Northampton, so it's of some significance to what's, them. What's been surprising is... Um, you know, outside of the Northampton-based letters and columns we've been getting is the amount that we're getting outside. Outside? Uh, yeah, outside the city. Uh, East Hampton, Granby, uh, you know, we've been getting letters from residents from surrounding towns that are want to say and what's going on here, and, and they want to offer an opinion because, I, you know, some of these people are people that come and visit the downtown and, and go to Northampton restaurants and businesses, and I think we had a letter from a Granby couple the other day who decided to, um, they don't live or work in Northampton, but they decided to come down to Main Street and sit there maybe on a bench and observe what they saw for the, for the day and, and, um, and then share their observations. Uh, so <clears throat> it's, been, uh, it's been interesting. To go back to your point of uh, are we putting as many for or against letters and columns in, I, I think when you have you know, a smaller group of letters and columns you'd really try to be aware of that this right now we're getting them you know there's a backlog and it's 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 both and we're not sitting there with a counter saying we've had 73 for and now we've got 71 against <coughs> um i think uh 
I think we've done a good job of putting in um, uh, columns and letters that are reflective of, 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 of the whole you know, gamut of perspectives on the Main Street redesign. Who decides which ones get published? Well, we try to publish them all. As long as you know there aren't you know things that can't be backed up, or there 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 are claims about, and we've had a few of those instances. Oh no, angle parking isn't going away, or or there's handicapped accessible um, spots and and stuff. So where we've had to work, you know, there's been a couple things where people might not have had it right, but we we try to publish everybody's viewpoint, and um, the only time it won't be really is is if it's personal or if it's uh, there are claims in the column or letter that can't be substantiated, um, but you know we're not we're not holding on to letters saying let's get more of those against ones in there. You know. <laughs> no, I think you're saying all, all the letters that fit we print. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would like to know this because you just mentioned the the Gazette tries not to <clears throat> print anything that's fa- from a letter. Does not tries not to print a letter that contains factual inaccuracies. Do you actually fact check everything in every letter? That sounds like an enormous undertaking. It is. It is an enormous undertaking, and um, we we have a. It's a team effort. You know, we we don't have one person. Uh, but for example, uh, with the Main Street redesign, we may bounce some claims made in a letter or column off the editor and reporter who have been wor- covering this very closely. Um, is, you know, do you see, is, is this accurate? Is there is it something we should be flagging here that's, that, that doesn't look right? And, um, and so, you know, we're vetting those letters, columns, and, and you know, as they come in with, with staff. And Dan Corrali, editor, executive editor of the Gazette, do you then go back to the letter writer and say, you need to fix this, or do you simply say, we're not going to print the letter? Yeah, we'll we'll go back and say that you know this this is this doesn't seem right. Can you can you give me a source? Where are you getting this information? Um, uh, and then sometimes they're like, you know what? I can't find that. I can't find the source. I'm like, all right, well, take that line out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And are are persons who submit letters that get that kind of response from you are they receptive to that or yeah. are they angry at you? No, they're they're generally receptive and and. Um, in fact, they're grateful sometimes that we've caught that and 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 um, kind of been a, a check on, on on some things they're putting out there that that aren't quite accurate. Plus, it means you're reading it. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, not only from the Gazette but uh, also in newspapers, many newspapers, we don't have an editorial from the paper very often, uh, and I'm wondering whether that is going to remain as a feature or a non-feature in the Gazette. And in particular, I raise this question now because at some point years ago, I would say many people would be waiting to see how's the Gazette going to come out on this issue. Right. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think primarily through the pandemic, um, we the paper stopped publishing editorials. It's something that we'd like to get back to. Um, you know, we've had a lot of restructuring going on in, in our newsrooms. And um, <clears throat> on the one hand, it's provided more space for, for the public to, to express their views on the people's page. But uh, um, I would like to see us get back on some of the, on some important and, and key issues uh, facing the communities we cover and on providing some editorials and, uh, and the paper's perspective. 
We have been speaking with Dan Crowley, who is the executive editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette and the other local papers of record as well. Dan Crowley is with us to help share his perspective and help, I think, us have perspective on the news in our communities. Dan Crowley, thanks so very much. Thanks for having me. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Testimony in the murder trial of Kara Rintala will continue today. Yesterday, jurors heard Rintala deny pouring paint on her wife's body, as well as a timeline of her activities on the day of the murder during her initial police interview. Rintala is charged with killing her wife in their Granby home in March of 2010. This is her fourth trial in Hampshire Superior Court since her arrest in October 2011. The city of Holyoke is trying to regain control of their schools. The school committee plans to petition State Education Commissioner Jeffrey Riley to release the schools from state receivership following a unanimous vote on Monday. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia has previously spoken about the desire to take back control. Has the state done anything different than what we could have done here locally to improve outcomes? No. And, and that's currently the debate at a lot of tables today. The Department of Secondary and Elementary Education will review all submitted data from Holyoke before it makes a recommendation to end the receivership. Greenfield Community College has begun the fall semester with an increase in enrollment after a decade of enrollment declines. Enrollment increased 8.6% this fall over last year, the largest increase in 13 years, according to the school. Provost Chet Jordan credited President Schuess's leadership and the initiatives taken, including a new schedule and guided pathways in the enrollment success. Plenty of sunshine today, low humidity, comfortable air, a high of 70 to 74, clear early tonight with evening temperatures in the 60s. Clouds arrive overnight with a low of 44 to 50. Mixture of sun and clouds and dry tomorrow, a high of 70 to 74. Clouds on Saturday, chance for showers, especially in the lower Pioneer Valley, a high in the mid-60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Get on your bike in September with the 13th annual Will Bike for Food, benefiting the Food Bank of Western Mass. This fun cycling event takes place September 24th at the Lions Club Pavilion in Hatfield. Cyclists of all ages and levels can pedal towards a hunger-free future while cycling through the scenic Connecticut River Valley and then celebrating at the exclusive after party. So join a team of friends, family, or coworkers, or ride and fundraise yourself. Register today at willbikeforfood.org. Presented by Stop and Shop. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday, Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at whmp.com. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. 
Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect. Certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. We welcome back to our show, Reverend Michael McSherry from Edwards Church here in Northampton. I was pondering this week, Michael, the contradiction of what is happening and what happens on the battlefield in Ukraine, where both sides are trying to kill each other are trying to escape being killed by the other, and both, are, both sides are at least portrayed as being actually quite observant, quite religious, everyone playing for different results, dramatically different results, to the same God. And I was perplexed, and I, I, I came to a place where... I said, I really don't understand this. Um, and I would really appreciate Reverend Michael McSherry's perspective on it. And that is not what God is doing to sort all this out, although I would appreciate your perspective on that too. But what is it that is the act of prayer? What does that mean? So those are the topics I have been uh, thinking about and wanted your perspective on. And maybe we could start for a moment on the first first question, which is, how do you think God sorts all that out? Wow, Bill, that's a that's a big one, <laughs> and I'll do my best. Um, and 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 as I always do, I will trust you to reel me in from time to time and and redirect me because I know sometimes once I get going, I I I, I might just keep going. No, well, take take your time. Um, we'll give a full full two yeah. minutes on this first question. <laughs> oh, okay, no, no, no problem. Um, the the um. It goes back. What do you? What is your concept of God? What you know? How do you envision you know that which we can barely imagine? Um, and do you do you do you wish for a God who's the beneficent parental force uh, sitting in the clouds, uh, waiting for us at our beck and call to intervene in our lives and make things better, or um, or do you have some different concept of God? Um, I, I, um, my concept of God is one in which um, God has invested God's self into everything we can see, observe, explore, and and even more far beyond that. You know, as 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 we contemplate the heavens, by which I mean the cosmos. You know, we we are beginning to understand with modern science even more than we knew millennia ago, that there are uh, more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy, Horatio, uh, as Hamlet said, and there are more dimensions to the created order 
of of you know in which we live than than we have yet discovered um I don't think of God as sitting in heaven or in any other dimension um responding to our requests so when um a Ukrainian or a Russian soldier might pray for deliverance might pray to be victorious in battle or at least spared injury or death um I think the divine is aware, but I don't think the divine responds directly to our individual requests. I think of the divine as present in all life and existing not only within all life, but beyond us. So that um, it's not too far a stretch to go with that metaphor of stardust and to say there's a little bit of stardust from the Big Bang sprinkled throughout everything we can observe it's in you, it's in me, it's in that worm in the dirt, it's in the bird that harvests the worm for breakfast, it's up in the sky, sparkling in the stars, um, but it's, it's it does not, God is not contained in anything, not fully captured, but is present and reflected in all things. Um, I'm wondering, Michael McSherry, Reverend McSherry, uh, if yeah. you happen to have in front of you uh, a poem that you shared with me I earlier do. today, because it yeah. fits right into this place in this conversation. If you could tell our listeners what it is, sure. who it's by, and then share it with us. It's short, but it is very it powerful. Is. There's a, there's um, a retired or semi-retired pastor named Steve Garnas, G-A-A-R, no, G-A-R-N-A-A-S, hyphen Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, Steve Garnis Holmes. And he maintains a website called unfoldinglight.net, unfoldinglight.net. And every day, um, Steve posts a meditation, often in the form of a poem. Um, And this week he published um, one titled Know Why, N-O-W-H-Y know why. And here's what it says. The great blue heron, beloved in our neighborhood, symbol of all that is elegant and divine, mysterious in migration and in movement, contemplative, patient, and wise, stands regally by the pond with a frog caught by one leg. It will not go well for the frog. Beauty has its price. Why ask why this frog and not another? This one, loved of every slimy spot and raspy evening song, its placid grin, its humorous fingers, this one, deeply adored even all the way down. Don't ask for why. God doesn't choose the food for the bird, but God loves them both and all the other frogs and birds and struck onlookers. Why do two get sick and one recovers and one dies? Why does the tree fall on one house and not another? There is no why. There is only this mystery, that to predator and prey alike, to both sufferer and bystander, God gives exactly the same grace. 
even to the perpetrator of the gravest injustice and also to his victim. God gives equally infinite forgiveness. Which is more confounding, the unfairness of life or the constancy of God's love? That's very powerful. Yeah. I would like to know, uh, Reverend Michael McSherry, this, um, because you're talking about an involvement with God, and it seems mm-hmm. a personal involvement, and yeah. not, this is a bad choice of words, a cosmic kind of perspective. And mm-hmm. I therefore get to this question, when people talk to God, that is, they pray, right. What are they doing? What is prayer? Um, For me, it's more of a posture of communication. A uh, as 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 many of our grandparents may have mentioned at one point in our young lives, um, God gave you uh, one mouth but two ears. Take the hint. Yeah, that sounds like grand grandparent grandparental kind of advice. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know. It, it sometimes, maybe most of the time, it's better to listen more than we talk. And um, God is speaking to us all the time through the beauty of creation and through the um, unfairness sometimes of creation. God perhaps um, has an attitude of benign, not indifference, but equanimity. Um, Having created all that is, that includes more than we can see, um, God is letting it unfold. God is hoping and wishing and egging on each of us who is a sentient being and who has a mind and an imagination that equips us to engage in moral reasoning to, uh, and I this deliberate choice of words, for heaven's sake, choose the good, promote the good, use the energy and intelligence and imagination that you have in this life, you the, use the time and the resources made available to you to promote the good, not just for yourself and not just for your family, but for your neighbors as well. I, I now, want. I want to. I want to ask human beings. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. I, I. I want. I want to hear more. I want to hear more about that. But we do need to squeeze. Well, we do need to squeeze in a break. So hold that thought for two minutes. Okay. When we come back, I want to hear more about that. And I want to. I want to discuss with you, uh, the 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 uh, book, the Judy Bloom book, and just been made into a movie, titled "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret." <laughs> we'll be right yeah. back. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. Local farms are the lifeblood of our valley, and boy have they had a tough year. 
At Northeast Solar, we feel a deep connection to farms. Sustainable agriculture needs sustainable energy, and sustainable energy is our mission. Energy is often the single highest cost for a working farm. By reducing those costs with solar energy, farms can sustain their business, which helps them sustain our communities. Support our local farms. Learn more about Northeast Solar's work with local farms at northeast-solar.com farms. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. Man, you should have seen me way back then. I could tell a tale. We continue our conversation with the senior pastor of the Edwards Church, Reverend Michael McSherry. We were talking during the break. We continued our conversation. And, Buzz, you posed a question to Reverend McSherry that based on our conversation so far today. Want to bring our listeners into that, please? Well, it's a, it, it's a, a very new concept that uh, humankind has never entertained before, but is uh, why do people in the name of God make war? Um, You're entitled to have a bigger sigh if you want. It seems to be the day for <laughs> sighing on the show. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Why? Um, well, you know, Cain and Abel is right there in Genesis for a reason. Um it appears to be part of human nature to um, be jealous of each other and to engage in violence in an attempt to resolve that. Um, human beings have been creating um, systems of belief and, and understanding systems of explaining things to each other um, as long as we've been around, I guess. And uh, that includes religions. Religions are, in my opinion, smaller than God. Um, and we often, and I think modern neurological science um, bears this out, um, we, we reach a conclusion and then we come up with a justification to support our conclusion rather than the other way around. And when we say that we're, um, that God's on our side, we're just, we're not serving God, we're serving our self-interest. Is the, the same prayer? Do people on either sides of the conflict trying to each other, in your opinion, engage in that same individual kind of talking to God or hearing from God, which we call prayer? I I don't know, um, because I don't I don't I don't personally pray to God to 
help me vanquish anyone or to um, achieve a military objective. And I think when we engage in war, we fail God's um, dream for us or ambition for us. It's not unusual for pastors to use the language of children of God, and I use that language. Um, I've also had the good fortune to be a parent, and I know what it means to have dreams or um, desires for one's offspring and um, engaging in violence with each other is not one of them. I think, Reverend McSherry, one of, one of the things which I observe every time I think about this, we've been thinking about this for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Buzz, you're not that old. I mean, you're <laughs> old, but come old. on. But in all seriousness, it seems like it often is, uh, I see, I fervently believe I am a devout follower of a doctrine, and yeah. you should too, or there's hell, literally hell to pay if you don't, and I will... Um, Im- I will strike down those who are not willing to see the uh, the holiness of God through my lens. That's often from the Crusades on. That's well, often yeah, the 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 uh, I am I am saying that when anyone um, deploys um, the point of a spear in the name of God, they are not proceeding in the name of God. I love the sound effects. We are all God's creatures. Thank you very much for bringing in the dog. (laughs) And thank the dog for participating and barking at the right time. That's good. What's what's the dog's name? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Dog's name is Nelly. Okay, Nelly. Um, Yeah. Dog is my co-pilot, right? Um, No, I think it's that simple. In in my understanding of God, God does not approve of or desire or condone our taking lives or anything else from each other in God's name, because it doesn't serve God's purpose. Let me go back to one point that we were on a few moments ago, and that is the power of prayer and and the, the, the experience of prayer. What is it to you? Is it meditation? Is it something different? Is it some other headspace? What is prayer? How do you pray? Um, it's prayer. Prayer is uh, being open to, being as, as in touch with God as one can. It is um, both, you know, when, when, when you talk to the people who are most important to you, um, sometimes it's for simple things like to say thank you, um, or or to bark when you're the dog. Um, to say thank you or help me, um, uh, you know, with task. And other times it can be um, when I'm talking to God and then listening. It might be for strength or wisdom um, or understanding to be more effective or a better communicator or for some purpose. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't consider God to be like a cosmic vending machine where I insert a prayer and I get a bag of potato chips or a positive outcome in surgery. However, I might ask God for 
a deeper sense of understanding and perspective and acceptance um, and then, you know, do what my doctor tells me to prepare for the surgery. So, um, so on the question that Margaret or Judy Bloom asks, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. It's, it's a wonderful and, and very sweet film, I should note. Um, the answer really is no. Uh, I, I, I don't know the book or the film, so I can't respond very specifically. But just because God's not there to dispense the bag of potato chips when we insert the prayer doesn't mean that God's not there. We're going to what be- it means God is present in a different way than dispenser of the lights. We have to leave it there. We have been speaking with Reverend Michael McSherry, Senior Pastor of the Edwards Church. This has been Have Faith on Talk the Talk. Thank you so much, Reverend. Really appreciate your time and insights. Always my pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Oh, my name, it ain't nothing. My age, it means less. Technicians, this is your chance. Get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus at Gary Rome Hyundai or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. Be part of the family and receive truly exceptional compensation and full benefits. Join the Time Magazine's National Dealer of the Year team with a proven track record of team members averaging over 10 years at Gary Rome Hyundai. Technicians get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. To learn more and apply, go to GaryRomeHyundai.com family. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Peter King, and we have breaking news on the media front. His name is synonymous with Fox News and Fox Corporation, but now he's calling it a career. CBS News correspondent Steve Kathan has more on the announcement made within the past hour. Fox says 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch will be stepping down as chairman of the board of Fox and News Corporation in November, his son Lachlan taking his place. Rupert Murdoch will keep an emeritus title with both companies. In a statement, Lachlan Murdoch said, We thank him for his vision, his pioneering spirit, determination, and the legacy he leaves to the companies he founded and people he has impacted. Murdoch has influenced television and politics. He's one of the richest people in the world, worth more than $21 billion last year, according to Forbes magazine. Steve Kathan, CBS News. The Biden administration says it'll grant temporary legal status to nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants who are already in this country. It means they'll eventually be allowed to work legally, and the intended result is to ease the burden on cities as border crossings return to near record levels. 
New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Part of the process is to get these applications processed and move forward. So it's not immediate. There's still a process of filing for it, uh, but it's a long way from having to wait months. Ukraine's President Zelensky is in Washington. It won't be hard for him to sell President Biden on the need for more aid for his country. Congress? Well, that's another story. Here's CBS's Ouija Jang. Several Republican lawmakers are pushing back, saying it's time for the U.S. to stop shelling out cash. During his Tuesday address to the U.N., Volodymyr Zelensky warned that a Russian victory could amount to World War III. Today, he will have have to convince lawmakers of that. Nine deputies seen on video beating and kicking an inmate have been indicted for his death. Shelby County, Tennessee Sheriff says the man died from a pre-existing condition. Attorney Bryce Timmons represent the dead man's family and says this about the sheriff. He's responsible. He supports his officers. He creates these policies. He is personally and directly responsible for the death of Gershon Freeman. On day seven of the auto workers' strike, workers at other plants and businesses are feeling the pinch. More from Detroit, WWJ's Jeff Gilbert. GM's plant in Kansas City is now down because it can't get parts from a strike-bound plant near St. Louis. There are also layoffs at the two other domestic car companies. Suppliers are feeling the heat, too. A company that normally makes seats for the Ford Bronco is laying off workers because Ford isn't making any Broncos. The Dow is down 170. This is CBS News. You need to hire fast and hire right? You need Indeed. Their all-in-one hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com credit. Ever have that nagging feeling that you might be leaving money on the table when you're filing your business taxes? Like your longtime bookkeeper or CPA might have missed a credit or deduction your business is eligible for. TaxReview.ai ensures you're not missing out on any state and federal tax credits or even industry or location-specific tax incentives. Plus, you may have major omissions on previous tax returns that can quickly add up to tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash for your business. Make sure you're not paying more taxes than you need to. Double-check your previous tax returns with TaxReview.ai's comprehensive artificial intelligence-driven algorithm. A licensed tax professional will review the AI recommendations, analyze your file, and tell you how much you're owed. Double-checking past tax returns could mean more money coming back to you. The analysis is completely free. Visit TaxReview.ai today to begin your free review. That's TaxReview.ai. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Testimony in the murder trial of Kara Rintala will continue today. Yesterday, jurors heard Rintala deny pouring paint on her wife's body, as well as a timeline of her activities on the day of the murder during her initial police interview. Rintala is charged with killing her wife in their Granby home in March of 2010. This is her fourth trial in Hampshire Superior Court since her arrest in October 2011. The city of Holyoke is trying to regain control of their schools. The school committee plans to petition State Education Commissioner Jeffrey Riley to release the schools from state receivership following a unanimous vote on Monday. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia has previously spoken about the desire to take back control. Has the state done anything different than what we could have done here locally to improve outcomes? No. And, and that's currently the debate at a lot of tables today. The Department of Secondary and Elementary Education will review all submitted data from Holyoke before it makes a recommendation to end the receivership. Greenfield Community College has begun the fall semester with an increase in enrollment after a decade of enrollment declines. Enrollment increased 8.6% this fall over last year, the largest increase in 13 years, according to the school. 
Provost Chet Jordan credited President Schuess's leadership and the initiatives taken, including a new schedule and guided pathways in the enrollment success. Plenty of sunshine today, low humidity, comfortable air, a high of 70 to 74, clear early tonight with evening temperatures in the 60s. Clouds arrive overnight with a low of 44 to 50. Mixture of sun and clouds and dry tomorrow, a high of 70 to 74. Clouds on Saturday, chance for showers, especially in the lower Pioneer Valley, a high in the mid-60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And we spend a lot of this time, uh, the time on this show, talking about the climate and sustainability and reducing our carbon footprint. Um, and we are just so lucky every week to have Brian Adams come and introduce us to people who are involved in that. But quite often it has nothing to do with sort of finding innovative ways of reducing that footprint. Sometimes it's just understanding and being outside in the environment that surrounds us and enjoying it. That's the best part of sustainability. And Brian, you have someone here today who's going to talk to us about just that. We do. And one of the great things about living in western Massachusetts is that this beautiful, majestic river that runs runs through us, the, the Connecticut. I mean, how lucky are we, Right. Uh, it's such a great place to recreate, to swim, to boat, to fish, just to look at as you're driving over the, the Coolidge Bridge. It's United States Fish and Wildlife Sanctuary. Um, just a great, great place, and we're just so fortunate. What some of our listeners may not know is that um, before the 1972 Clean Water Act, the river was referred to as the most beautifully landscaped sewer in the country. It was stinky. It was yucky. No one fished. No one boated to swim. It'd be like, ah, no, run away. Um, and it was just a mess. Was then, it that in competition with the Charles? We love that dirty water? <laughs> that's it. At, with most rivers okay. um, in the in the United States, they they were a mess. Uh, what was the one that caught on fire in oh, Cleveland? Oh, right, in Cleveland. Cleveland, yeah. Oh, yes. A river God. on fire. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. 1972. The Clean Water Act, one of the most effective pieces of environmental legislation ever. And one thing it did was to mandate that we clean up our rivers, that secondary sewage treatment became a, uh, uh, a, a forced mandate. Um, and there was this enormous amount of money spent on cleaning up the river, and the results are spectacular. I think often we think, oh, it was so much better back then. You know, it really wasn't. Water quality really wasn't. And now it's, you know, we fish, we swim, we recreate, we look at it, we drive across the, 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 the Coolidge Bridge. All that being said, there's a lot still to be done to protect the river. Um, and here to talk about the Connecticut River, we're so fortunate to have Anna Laird uh, Bartow with us. Anna wrote a wonderful piece, in fact, three pieces for the Gazette, a couple months ago about her very cool journey kayaking the Connecticut River in the Massachusetts portion. Anna, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So it's so cool. You did the 68 miles of the Connecticut River that is in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and you kayaked that. Um, what prompted you to do such a cool thing? <laughs> 
Well, it actually grew out of a project I'd done earlier uh, in the year or the year before. Um, I read about for Yes magazine, and that was doing a through paddle of the Mystic River in Boston. And um, that trip happened to coincide uh, with the oral arguments in the Sackett versus EPA Supreme Court case, um, as which, as many of you know, um, in a nutshell, um, narrowed the scope of the Clean Water Act, um, which you've already talked about, the, uh, what a game changer that was for our rivers. Um, so I used that uh, opportunity to you know, talk about um, the importance of the Clean Water Act, the difference it had made, and the potential setback that um, the Sackett case represented. Um, also, I just love kayaking. I love being out in the water. And if I can combine that with my passion for writing. Um. So that's, it's, it's a pretty cool gig you have. Mm-hmm. Social worker by day, uh, adventurer yes. by <laughs> evening and weekend. Um, 68 miles. Your thoughts on the ecological health of the Connecticut River. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, if you had to, to grade it, mm-hmm. um, if you were a teacher, I'm going to grade you on your health. Oh. Um, what would you give it? Why? What um, are, are you optimistic about mm-hmm. the health of the river? Yeah, I actually uh, am more optimistic after making this trip about the health of our Connecticut River in Massachusetts. Can't say the same for our rivers nationally, um, but I was pleasantly surprised just the the clarity of the water, um, especially in the more rural portions, the wildlife that I observed and all the other recreationists out on the water, canoes, kayaks, motorboats, uh, even bathers in some portions. Uh, and I grew up in the valley in the 80s. And you know, I saw the Connecticut River from the Coolidge Bridge, but I don't think I ever stepped, set foot in it. I think I remember asking why we couldn't go swimming. And you know, my parents were like, oh, you know, there's sewage. You'll get sick. Um, Let's talk about the mm-hmm. sewage yes. uh, issue. Um, so, so for those that don't know, I mean, all of the sewage treatment plants in the valley ultimately end up in the, the sewage ends up in the, in the Connecticut River. Hopefully it is treated. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's treated to such an extent that harmful bacteria is mm-hmm. not going in. And a lot of those pathogens that we associate mm-hmm. with sewage have been eliminated through a very complicated or technologically mm-hmm. complex mm-hmm. Um, uh, process. Uh, mm-hmm. There is issues with sewage treatment, yes. particularly in a number of larger cities, Springfield, mm-hmm. Chicopee, Holyoke, but some smaller ones as well, mm-hmm. Greenfield. Including Montague, and, and where Montague. I live. Mm-hmm. Tell us what happens in heavy rains that makes mm-hmm. sewage treatment so problematic mm-hmm. in some of those communities. Mm-hmm. Well, older communities have what's called a combined sewer cyst overflow or combined sewer systems. And that means that the pipes that carry stormwater, what runs off our yards and our streets, um, flow into the same share pipe with the sewage that's going to the water treatment plant. Um, And when there's too much rainfall, the system overflows and flows into the river. Um, it's actually a safeguard that's by design so it doesn't back up into our homes and businesses. So this combined sewage mm-hmm. overflow, which means heavy rains mm-hmm. are just inundating these yes. plants. They can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And essentially untreated sewage is going down 
into mm-hmm. into the river. Yeah. And in fact, and I think for what, three weeks in July, mm-hmm. after those torrential yes. rainstorms, the, I want to say mm-hmm. 7th, 10th of July, the boat ramps were closed, mm-hmm. rivers had overflowed. I mean, it was not a good, a good place. Mm-hmm. What is the solution with this combined sewage overflow? I, I, I think mm-hmm. I read that Holyoke's been mandated to fix things, that they're in mm-hmm. violation of the Clean Water Act. Mm-hmm. But you're talking tens of millions mm-hmm. of dollars for towns that yeah. are struggling mm-hmm. to begin exactly. with. Exactly. Exactly. It is not a quick or easy fix to update the sewer systems. Um, and these communities are working on it. Um, the Pioneer Valley Planning Commission, which I talked to, has been very instrumental uh, in helping them connect with the grant money, with the resources to do this work. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's logistically complicated, takes a lot of funds. But I know the biggest question I got from my friends and acquaintances was like, how is this possible that we still have all this sewage flowing into the river? And um, it is, unfortunately, it is legal for the most part. It's just the systems have not been updated. And you think about the systems, mm-hmm. all of these underground pipes mm-hmm. to replace those or redirect yeah. those is just it's an It's a astound- huge undertaking. And it's yeah. so expensive. Yeah, so we don't want to point the fingers at communities like Holyoke and Chicopee because they're actually working very hard to remedy this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk about another one of the major mm-hmm. uh, environmental issues, and that's the dams. The dams. Um, mm-hmm. For the listeners that don't know, the Connecticut flows from the Canadian border mm-hmm. all the way down 410 miles to the Long Island Sound. There are no dams in the, in the Connecticut, in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and there are two dams in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. the Holyoke Dam and the Turner's Dams. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kayaking down the river, yeah. and dam, there's a dam. <laughs> First, logistically, how do you get around mm-hmm. that? And two, your thoughts on what the dams do to mm-hmm. the ecological health mm-hmm. of the river. Well, logistically, in the case of the Turner's Falls Dam, you have to portage about a mile because uh, there, at most times, there's not enough water in the section uh, immediately downstream from the dam to pass a kayak through. In fact, there's not even enough for fish to pass through, uh, which is a real problem. Um, as we have a number of endangered species that we're trying to bring back, shad and salmon that have historically spawned in that location. Um, there is the fish way in Turner's Falls, so there has been some progress, um, but it's not enough. Um, and the uh, folks at the Connecticut River, River Conservancy in particularly have been working really hard on this issue. Um, not to and, mention the Northfield mm-hmm. pumping stations. Yes, that's a huge issue. Um, so basically, the stretch of the river between the Northfield pump station and the Turner's Falls Dam is a reservoir for that um, pump station. So basically, um, when when energy needs are high, they suck thousands of gallons of water out of the river into their underground reservoir, which then they conserve for when there's a power need and they're able to sell that power. Um, uh, and they, mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge issue and it's mm-hmm. so interesting the dams uh and the pumping station as well we're talking with anna mm-hmm. laird barto she's a freelance writer she's spent uh a good portion of a number of days this summer kayaking mm-hmm. the connecticut river and writing about it in a series of really interesting articles for mm-hmm. the for the gazette um i mean the dams are wonderful in terms of renewable energy 
uh, water spins through mm -hmm. a wheel, it creates electricity, mm -hmm. nothing is burned, nothing is combusted, mm -hmm. no greenhouse gases, but the presence of dams. People might dispute that in case of the Northfield <laughs> and the Nor station. Right, the yeah. Northfield pump station is so mm -hmm. interesting yeah. because it's a net energy loss. It actually mm -hmm. takes more energy to suck that water mm -hmm. up into the reservoir in Northfield mm -hmm. than you get from releasing it. But it's economics and it's a storage facility mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Relicensing of dams is coming mm -hmm. up for a lot of the tributaries of the Connecticut mm -hmm. River. In fact, I believe And that, for the Turner's Falls Dam. And for mm -hmm. the Turner's mm -hmm. Dam. I believe the Deerfield River is the most dammed river in the country in terms, of that, yeah. in terms of miles and mm -hmm. dams per miles. Your thoughts on the dams? If, if you had your way, would you remove them? What's, what do you think? You know, logistically, that's a big lift, but I know they are doing that on some sections of the river, um, especially up in Vermont. We have other sources of clean energy now, um, and the dams are incredibly disruptive to the ecosystem. Yeah, it's a, it, it really is an interesting uh, issue. Um, favorite wildlife encounter mm. on the river. Can you talk about that? Mm, the bald eagles. Um, I expected to find them up in uh, the what we call the Narrows, up uh, above Barton's Cove, because I live in that area. Uh, and I did see some eagles up there, uh, but I was really impressed by how many, like multiple families of bald eagles on the Sunderland stretch of the river, the islands there. Um, you know, they're families because you can identify the juveniles. They have a more modeled, mottled appearance. They don't have the bald head yet. Um, and so they seem to be, um, flying together in family units. They were alighting on the islands. I managed to kind of ground my kayak very close to the island and get close with my camera. I got some great shots. It's such an astounding mm -hmm. thing. Years ago, there were really no bald mm -hmm. eagles at all. They were on the endangered species list. They were on their way out. 1973, mm -hmm. Endangered Species Act. And now bald eagles are like, oh yeah, I saw a bald eagle. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not... Um, Bill, you have a question, comment? I do. Is this a resurgence of the population of bald eagles? I take it that when there was a lot of sewage in the river, the mm -hmm. fish were not so delectable. But mm -hmm. did that decrease the, the, the population, or are they now back? Is there a resurgence? There's absolutely a resurgence. Uh, it's not new. I don't remember the year. It may have been in the 90s. They, um, the Quab in particular, they released some... Um, bald eagle pairs in that area, um, and they've been successful. I believe in addition to the river water quality, I think they banned lead bullets. Uh, it's something to do with the uh, prey or the carrion that the eagles were ingesting. And the whole uh, yeah. getting rid of DDT. Sure. This is mm -hmm. uh, just so interesting. Brian Adams is talking to Anna Laird Bartow. You can find out more about Anna Laird Bartow by looking at her website, by Googling Anna Laird, L-A-I-R-D, Bartow, B-A-R-T-O. We're going to continue our conversation about our rivers right after this. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the Valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. Build a stone wall? How hard can it be? One stone on top of another. Stones aren't Legos, and you're not a stonemason. Call Beyond Landscape, the take back your weekend people. They'll build that wall and that patio and the steps. You want a pond? Call Beyond. Schedule now. They get busy. Well, not as busy as you. Take back your weekend. Book a fall cleanup, a stone wall, a pond, a patio. Go Beyond. Call Beyond Landscape. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. It's a farm-to-table dinner like no other. A dinner on the bucolic 55-acre campus of the Hartsbrook School in Hadley with vegetables from the Hartsbrook School farm, honey from Hartsbrook bees. Hartsbrook alum Nate Sustick, executive chef at Paul and Elizabeth's, will do the cooking. And Nate will be cooking by fire. The Hartsbrook School farm-to-table dinner, Saturday, September 30th. Good food, an auction, a convivial evening celebrating Hartsbrook education. Get tickets now at the Hartsbrook School website you're listening to talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg whmp and we are back with brian adams who has brought us a very very interesting freelance writer based here in western massachusetts who writes about our environment and especially our rivers and waterways brian adams continue our conversation please with anna larry bartow Anna, we were talking um, during the break about this really interesting case that's mm-hmm. worked its way up to the Supreme Court. It's called the, uh, the Sackett decision. And mm-hmm. for those of us that are uh, fans of water quality mm-hmm. and fans of the Connecticut River, it's disconcerting and mm-hmm. discouraging to have this continual attacks on mm-hmm. the Connecticut River. Um, and this came down in May where mm-hmm. the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a couple mm-hmm. in Idaho um, that the EPA had blocked filling in their wetlands mm-hmm. near their property. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? And does it have an impact mm-hmm. on us here in Massachusetts? Uh, the decision uh, mostly involves wetlands um, and what wetlands qualify for federal protection under the Clean Water Act. Uh, in the case of Sackett, um, the Supreme Court unanimously decided that in their case, the wetlands were not per- did not qualify uh, for protection. Uh, I don't know the details of that uh, decision, but um, several justices, including Kavanaugh, a little surprisingly, dissented in the um, the interpretation of the Clean Water Act that led to that decision, uh, really got into semantics about what qualifies as waters of the United States. Um, 
So, but basically what it boils down to is that about 50% of wetlands in the United States are, are now vulnerable because they lack a continuous surface connection to a traditional navigable body of water, such as the Connecticut. The good news in that Massachusetts, we have some, already have some of the strongest wetlands protection legislation in the country, some of which even predates the Clean Water Act, as usual Massachusetts, you know, leading the way. Um, there are some instances, some instances, um, especially involving small parcel, parcels of land um, where it still might have impact, but really we're very lucky. I, I think, and, and uh, Bill and Buzz, help me out with this. We can always set the standards higher mm -hmm. uh, than federal standards. Yes. We can't set them lower. Mm -mm. So when the Supreme Court rules in favor of, of this, if we have more stringent water quality mm -hmm. acts, at least we don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. uh, until it may would work its and way an to an act of Congress could correct all of this. Yes, and yeah. that's what we certainly need, mm -hmm. acts of Congress. We talked about your most exciting mm -hmm. wildlife encounter mm -hmm. with the bald eagles, which mm -hmm. are really so cool. Mm -hmm. um, what about your most exciting human encounter mm -hmm. as you were paddling 68 mm -hmm. miles on the Connecticut River? Mm -hmm. Well, this was a human and wildlife encounter. I'm not permitted to disclose what section, what stretch of the river um, I encountered this, uh, but I encountered a, a fisherman fishing for carp, giant carp. I don't remember how many pounds it weighed in at, but it was like the size of a dog. And it turns out he caught this carp many times. He actually feeds it. Uh, I can't remember what he feeds it that he throws into the river, and then he catches it again and uh, he feeds weighs it. feeds it bagels and cream cheese, I think. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I think the carp may have had a name, or different carp he catches have a name. Um, that's his hobby. So Gets him outside. So he goes to the same place, catches mm -hmm. the same fish, mm -hmm. feeds the fish, yeah. releases mm -hmm. it. So there's this weird mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. And he won't tell you, or he won't allow uh, you to tell well, where. Well, he doesn't want other people. I mean, he's spent no, it's all his this fish. effort feeding right. this fish. He doesn't want other people to. <laughs> That's to a little bizarre, but yeah, there but, you go. I wonder if he has a name for it. Mm. We, I, but she said yeah, he does. Yeah, I wish I remembered the name. Uh, you know, or um, you're not able to share the name mm, of the fish in case other yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> other people. You're here, uh -huh. spot, spot. Yeah, his partner, wife her partner was with him. She kind of threw up her hands. Like, oh, yeah. my God. You talked about being more optimistic about the health of the river than you mm -hmm. were when you started. Yeah. There are a lot of organizations out there mm -hmm. that are doing their utmost to mm -hmm. protect uh, our Connecticut River. Can you talk mm -hmm. about some of those organizations and the conversations yeah. that yeah. you had with them? Well, first of all, the Connecticut River Conservancy. They're involved in so many levels, including policy. They submitted comments on the dam relicensing. Uh, they provide technical support um, to the EPA around research. Um, resources. They also have campaigns um, to combat uh, invasive uh, plant species um, like the water chestnut um, that are threatening the Connecticut. And they also uh, organize a lot of citizen science efforts around that, like you can volunteer, um, they'll even lend you a kayak, you can go out and harvest Harvest isn't the right word. Pull out water chestnut. Um, they also do water quality testing. Wonderful organization mm -hmm. based Absolutely. in Greenfield, yeah. the Connecticut River Conservancy. Mm -hmm. And it's also the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Refuge, mm -hmm. the entire length of the Connecticut mm -hmm. River. Um, so that's another organization mm -hmm. that's really doing mm -hmm. a marvelous job in terms of protecting. And I would encourage our listeners, if you ever have a moment to go up 
to uh, Turner's Falls. Mm -hmm. You cross the bridge there from Gill, mm -hmm. and there's a marvelous Connecticut River Museum mm -hmm. there, right on the right. And the Great Falls Discovery Center. The Great Falls yes. Discovery, which is so cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a great little mm -hmm. museum. Yeah. That is, that, um, that it is. also talks about um, the history of the Connecticut, and particularly that Great Falls area before colonization, before the Europeans showed up. Um, it was a very important um, area culturally, um, economically, yes. socially for the Native American groups. And a great food mm -hmm. source, particularly mm -hmm. in May when the fish yeah. are migrating up. Um, we're just about out of time. Mm -hmm. uh, well, before we are, I'd like to mm -hmm. just circle back to where, where we mm -hmm. started here, which is you are an adventurer. <laughs> and you're a writer. Yeah. And when we're talking about protecting the climate, mm -hmm. we're talking about sustainability, which is the mission since mm -hmm. the decades that I've known you, Brian, you've been on. Mm -hmm. But how? What is the connection between using the outdoors, being mm -hmm. outdoors, and protecting the outdoors? Do Do you see the mm -hmm. connection and people appreciating? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's a really concrete case uh, up in up in Turner's, because we literally it's uh, not just uh, kayakers but fishermen. Uh, and hikers that are affected by the um, abrupt changes in water flow and just the lack of water flow. But, you know, also being out in nature, you know, you appreciate um, both the, the physical importance. You know, our food is grown in the Connecticut um, River floodplain, uh, as we learned, but also that, you know, the psychological and spiritual benefits. So, Anna Laird Bartow, mm -hmm. let me just follow up on what Brian was asking you, what Buzz posed as well, which is the separation of powers between mm -hmm. what the federal government can do and what the state government can mm -hmm. do. You've told us about the federal government. Is mm -hmm. there something that state and local government need to do about the Connecticut to make it safe and pure and swimmable, mm -hmm. maybe even potable? Oh, we need to work on these combined sewer overflows. <laughs> and um, what do we need to do? We need to find the money yeah. to do it. I mean, that's it's I mean, so there's just tens of millions yeah. of dollars. So you're going to mm -hmm. digging up streets, mm -hmm. replacing pipes, so that when it rains, we don't have these catastrophic mm -hmm. events. I mean, yeah, I, I, I want to point out in Agawam, there mm -hmm. was a huge, I forget what the discharge, yeah. it was like tens of thousands per mm -hmm. day of yeah. gallons of sewage was put into the Connecticut mm -hmm. River. And same in Holyoke, right? Was, unfortunately, it wasn't just, yeah, and up in Franklin County as well. Yeah, I think Sunderland, um, there's a number mm -hmm. of... Yeah. yeah. And I, as climate change fuels mm -hmm. heat in the environment, it's we're going to say this is mm -hmm. the new normal. Mm -hmm. We're going to see more of these major rain events mm -hmm. causing, yeah. wreaking havoc mm -hmm. on, on, mm -hmm. on systems that mm -hmm. were not built mm -hmm. to sustain such... Heavy, prolonged. Oh, one more remain. thing we can also do is invest in green infrastructure. Um, exactly, climate like change a, yeah. having a profound effect. Rain gardens. These are things you can do in your own backyard. In fact, uh, there's a great website um, through the Pioneer Valley Planning Commission uh, that they brought my attention to. Is the ThinkBlueConnecticutRiver.org. That has a lot of practical suggestions for what you can do and how you can get involved in larger community-wide efforts. We can people get that mm. website uh, by going to your website, Anna Laird Bartow? Uh, I can post it. I don't believe it's go. on there post right it. now. <laughs> We've been talking with Anna Laird Bartow. She's a freelance writer uh, who did a marvelous mm -hmm. piece for the Gazette, three-piece section, mm -hmm. um, paddling six or kayaking 68 miles on the Connecticut River and interviewing people about mm -hmm. the health of the river and writing about it. Thank you so mm -hmm. much.
okay. for being with us today. And I just, I just want to say, by going mm -hmm. to Anna's uh, uh, website, there's mm -hmm. a whole lot of publications mm -hmm. that Anna has generated as a result of her activities and her mm -hmm. knowledge. Thank you both. Brian, mm -hmm. thank you for bringing Anna mm -hmm. to us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk some jazz. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. The Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Testimony in the murder trial of Kara Rintala will continue today. Yesterday, jurors heard Rintala deny pouring paint on her wife's body, as well as a timeline of her activities on the day of the murder during her initial police interview. Rintala is charged with killing her wife in their Granby home in March of 2010. This is her fourth trial in Hampshire Superior Court since her arrest in October 2011. The city of Holyoke is trying to regain control of their schools. The school committee plans to petition State Education Commissioner Jeffrey Riley to release the schools from state receivership following a unanimous vote on Monday. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia has previously spoken about the desire to take back control. Has the state done anything different than what we could have done here locally to improve outcomes? No. And, and that's currently the debate at a lot of tables today. The Department of Secondary and Elementary Education will review all submitted data from Holyoke before it makes a recommendation to end the receivership. Greenfield Community College has begun the fall semester with an increase in enrollment after a decade of enrollment declines. Enrollment increased 8.6% this fall over last year, the largest increase in 13 years, according to the school. Provost Chet Jordan credited President Schuess's leadership and the initiatives taken, including a new schedule and guided pathways in the enrollment success. Plenty of sunshine today, low humidity, comfortable air, a high of 70 to 74, clear early tonight with evening temperatures in the 60s. Clouds arrive overnight with a low of 44 to 50. Mixture of sun and clouds and dry tomorrow, a high of 70 to 74. Clouds on Saturday, chance for showers, especially in the lower Pioneer Valley, a high in the mid-60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. UMass alum Stephen Kellogg returns to the UMass campus with his guitar in one hand and a copy of his new book in the other. The UMass Amherst Libraries and the UMass Fine Arts Center present Words and Music, an evening with singer-songwriter and author Stephen Kellogg, Friday, December 22nd at Bowker Auditorium. With his roots-rocking songs and friendly, engaging stage manner, Stephen Kellogg has lit up audiences from coast to coast. In this very special evening at UMass, he'll discuss themes in his new book, Objects in the Mirror, Thoughts on a Perfect Life from an Imperfect Person. He might tell some jokes. He'll definitely play some favorite songs. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. Call it a kind of homecoming. Words and Music, an evening with singer-songwriter, author, and UMass alum, Stephen Kellogg. Friday, September 22nd, Bowker Auditorium at UMass Amherst. The great tradition of the Old Deerfield Fall Arts and Crafts Festival returns September 23rd and 24th. Come brighten your home or wardrobe. Choose from affordable works by over 100 artisans in the beautiful village of Old Deerfield. But don't just take my word for it. Get the details at deerfield-craft.org. Come celebrate a bright new fall season. 
Admission $5, children 12 and under free. Cleaning up? Rent a leaf blower and a power broom. Rent a pressure washer. Rent a carpet cleaner or a floor scrubber and polisher. Whatever the job, chances are TJ's rents the tools and equipment to make it easier, safer, and cheaper. What projects do you want to tackle? Rent the right tools and equipment at TJ's. We'll show you how to use them. You'll get the hang of it in no time. TJ's Rental, Route 202 in South Hadley. Give us a call and fill up your propane tank while you're here. If you just squint your eyes a little and just look maybe about eight days from now in the future, <laughs> there is an incredible event uh, that is just awaiting us, a, a sumptuous event, something that always brings smiles. And the person who's largely responsible for putting it all together is Ruth Griggs. Hello, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you, Buzz. I'm just the president. We have amazing producers who really are the ones who put it together. I, I'm just the president. I just keep I keep the train running down the tracks. That's go. my job, is, and to make sure we, we don't have any holes. And anyway, but um, yeah, it is coming up on next weekend, the last two days of September, and I sure hope we have weather like we're having here in Western Mass today. Today, right. Um, it's it's couldn't be better. But anyway, yeah, it's September 29 and 30. The Jazz Strut is on Friday all evening long at breweries, bars, and restaurants. And we have a musician who's performing at the Jazz Strut on the, on the line today. And then Jazz Fest Day is on the 30th. Again, free live jazz music all over town starting at 1045 in the park and running straight through to 630 with amazing musicians, again, the, our guest today, and then ending up at the Academy of Music with the Max Roach Centennial, which will be an enormous celebration. This is what life should be like. <laughs> the entire community comes out, lots of smiles, yeah. lots of, you know, eating Lots of dancing feet. Yeah, I mean, Lots of clapping, lots of dancing. Event. The Northampton and Jazz Fest. So who do we have today? So today we have a, a, a remarkable bassist, who has become quite the friend of the Northampton Jazz Festival and its musicians, Matt Dwanzik, who is um, from the Hartford area and um, is um, coming up not only for the Jazz Strut on Saturday, on Friday, but also will be performing with the Venetia Gould Quartet on Saturday. So thank you, Matt, for being here. We appreciate thank your time. You. Of course. Thanks for having me, Ruth. Thank you for having me on the show. Happy to, to be here. Happy to be a part of the Northampton Jazz Festival. Well, I understand that we grabbed you from a recording session. Is that right, Matt? That's right. I'm headed there right after I hang up the phone in uh, actually um, uh, West Springfield. Um, that's where I'll be recording with Jonathan Barber, great jazz drummer, and his group Vision Ahead. Not going to be nearly as enjoyable as talking to Ruth Griggs. <laughs> of course, of course not. It, going to the recording studio is like going to the doctor's office. It's kind of hard to think. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully the, the diagnosis is happy. It's happy music. Yeah. And, we, yeah. and we're going to be listening to a couple of takes of, um, 
of, of Matt's music um, during the show today. And it, he's a composer, too. He's not only a bassist and an arranger, but he's a composer and has beautiful heart-rendering tunes that you will love, Buzz Eisenberg. I can guarantee it. <laughs> uh, Matt, I am always amazed. Ruth brings us mega talents, people who have so much talent, and they, they have honed those talents over a lifetime. And it is, I, I just feel blessed to be here on Thursdays and be exposed to people like you, Matt. Oh, thank you. Well, happy to be here. Well, Thanks for well, doing what you do. Well, Matt, Matt is Matt is a, on the, the younger end of the spectrum of jazz musicians. But Matt, tell us a little bit about um, how you got your start. I know uh, you've you've been in uh, this kind of northeastern corner of the world. Um, why bass, and how did you get your start? Who's your influencers? Great question. Uh, well, bass because my older brother played guitar, and I didn't want to copy him. That's when I was eleven years old. Uh, so I, I picked up the electric bass, and I just started playing. I was in a lot of bands, and in high school, I had the opportunity to go to the um, Academy of the Arts, performing arts high school, where you, you had the opportunity to study either classical or jazz, and I was interested in jazz, and uh, after four years of that, I went to the Hart School of Music, the Jackie McLean Institute, and then I... After that, went to SUNY Purchase, did my master's, slowly migrating to New York, and I moved to New York shortly after. I was there five years. Pandemic happened, and I'm back home in Connecticut. Um, but yeah, that's that's my story in a in a nutshell. Um, I just kind of fell in love with the music and and the community, the people uh, who you meet along the way. I made a lot of friends, and um, it's a it's a beautiful thing the jazz community it is a beautiful thing and i think it's a particularly beautiful thing here in in our neck of the woods where there's a lot of educational institutions and matt you you may have a sense of this um being a new york city musician as well as um playing up here in 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 you know western mass and in the connecticut region and that's that i've heard new york city musicians say when they come to the northampton jazz workshop I love the vibe in this room. I love the fact that there's not, I don't sense competition. I sense collaboration. And appreciation. And appreciation and support. And th that supportive environment, I think, is somewhat unique to Western Mass because of the educational institutions where everybody's learning and studying and, and, wood sh and woodshedding like all the time. What do you think, Matt? What's been your experience? Yes. I mean, every time I've come to Northampton, I've been um, warmly welcomed. And, um, you know, the, the, the fans, the audience, they're very appreciate, appreciative of the music. And, um, yeah, I know for a fact, you, you know, New York City is a, is a difficult place to live. It's, it's incredible, but it's, it's a hard place to live. And sometimes things, you know, music gets taken for granted. So to to step away from the, the you know the hustle hustle bustle of New York City and to come to the you know the wide open uh, the mountains the trees and then just the atmosphere of the community in Northampton it, it's really a, a a treat and a gift for uh, you know musicians that are in New York and other cities uh, it's definitely a special place um, the 
fans are always just very great and, and loving, and there's there's a, uh, definitely a sense of, like, people care. They care about the music, which is, that's as a musician, that's the best thing you could ask for. Well, that that's a lovely compliment, um, and, and we are so eager to welcome you. So for all of you out there in Radio Land, we are talking to Matt Dwanzik, who's a bassist um, out of the Hartford area, and he's coming up. Uh, to the jazz festival uh, next weekend, and he's playing with his uh, quartet called Dwanzet, and uh, the Dwanstet, excuse me, the Dwanstet, and they are playing um, at Fitzwillie's from yes. eight to ten on Friday, the 29th of September. So if you want to hear Matt, and we're gonna we're gonna listen to one of the pieces that um, his his quartet, um, the Dwanzet played um, at the side door, which is a great little jazz club um, on the on the Connecticut shore. We're going to listen for just a few minutes to Mucho Fernet. Is that how I pronounce it, Dan? Uh, Fernet. Fernet. Mucho Fernet, which I understand is a delicious alcoholic beverage from Argentina. That's correct. Let's listen to a little bit of that jazz. Still, <laughs> that was fun. That was super fun. <laughs> That's too fun. It's hard to stay still. This is just a joy. We're talking to Ruth Griggs. We're talking to Matt Dwansick, who is going to be on the Jazz Strut coming up next week. Northampton Jazz Festival. We're going to come back and continue our conversation with the amazing musician Matt Dwansick. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, 
but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586-1000. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Ruth Griggs. We're talking uh, with Matt Dwanzik, who, of course, is with the Dwan's Tet. The, uh, and, and we're going to hear and see Matt next week, Ruth, in the Jazz Strut. The I Jazz Strut, the Friday downtown, all night long Jazz Strut. And that's um, Matt is going to be playing with some amazing musicians uh, at Fitzwillie's from 8 to 10 next Friday, the 29th. So you've got to show up there. He's playing, well, if I mean, I know some of these players. So he's playing, the drummer's going to be Richie Barchet, who I've had on the show, who is locally based and is... The, the, one of the most masterful drummers I've ever heard in my entire life. He's so creative. So that combination of Richie and Matt will blow your socks up. But then we're not done yet. Chanel Johns, who is a vocalist we're going to hear in a few minutes on one of uh, Matt's wonderful, wonderful compositions called Peaceful World. She's going to be the singer. And she's straight out of New York and is Really, really gorgeous. gorgeous so much to voice. look forward to for the for the jazz festival. Yeah, and then th- what's also lovely about Matt is that he is going to be leading our first ever late night jam, right next door to Fitzwillie's at the Toasted Owl, and that's gonna the late night jam is gonna run from ten to eleven thirty, and Matt, tell us a little bit about that late night jam, like. I was thinking, like, how do you make a jam happen when you have all these different musicians that are all standing by the stage waiting to get up? Like, how do you run a jam? That's a great question. And um, I, the way I run a jam is I don't leave. I stay there, and I kind of try and you have to be somewhat of a peacemaker and organizer when it comes to what songs people play. Um, and, you know, a lot of personalities come to a jam session, so you kind of have to um, be patient, uh, but some really good stuff can happen. You just have to kind of be the one to take charge and say, hey, what do you want to play? What do you want to play? Um, let's play this. Okay, let's let you guys r- relax on this song. Let's feature this vocalist. Let's, you kind of have to create a um, – there has to be some order to a jam session for it to be successful, I think. I've seen many, uh, you know – go off the rails kind of but 
I, I assure you, at the Tostadawa this uh, upcoming Friday, or not tomorrow, but a week from Friday, uh, it, it's going to be a good jam session. So bring your instruments, and uh, I'll be playing, and we'll have some fun. What an invitation. But also, you must be used to it. You're a faculty member at Manchester Community College and at Central Connecticut State College. You must be used to having your students get up and just wanting to rock with you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always encourage them to go out to the local jam sessions. And, um, you know, my bass students, they, you know, they can play my instrument. And, um, you know, I think that's the best place to learn because you learn what people are playing. You learn the most important thing, I think, is, is to be able to play with people. It's one thing if you could play at home, but to, to go out and meet people and, and um, communicate with them uh, on the bandstand musically, but also socially, I think is, is, um, that's part of it, you know. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's good for, for musicians to come out and try and jam. It's, like, it's, it's kind of like real-time arranging. It's, it's arranging in real life real time because suddenly you yeah. have you know you have whatever musicians happen to come it could be three saxophones it could be a flute it could be a guitar it could be whatever a couple of drummers and you've got to like make an arrangement with those folks that you've probably never heard before but i think you've on heard, the spot you've, you've it's heard amazing me, Ruth, re- reflect about this but musicians like you as a vocalist and like matt Dwanzik, there's this this universal language that you share that the rest of us don't share where you can communicate with each other and sort of take cues from each other and sound like you've rehearsed this thing a hundred times that's when the you've beauty never of even jazz. played together. That's, that's the, the beauty, beauty of jazz because you follow the form. Yeah. That You follow the form. Um, so, so again, that jam session um, was the brainchild of Ryan Hollander who was one of our, um, our board members and a producer. And the other idea of this jam session is that a bunch of the musicians that will have been playing all night long during the jazz strut, you know, the Rich Goldstein, the Ron Smiths, the the Molly Playstead, the Melanie Giselles of the world, will will come over to the Toasted Owl. So again, if you're a student out there, you know, from the high school, from UMass, from Amherst, from wherever, from Greenfield Community College, Holyoke Community College, come with your instrument and you'll have a chance to play with these incredible um, musicians from our region as well as from New York City, from Hartford. Um, so I think that that's really exciting. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to, to ask you about, Matt, is your message in the, your compositions. Uh, again, we're going to hear Peaceful World, which is from, I believe, your 22 album, and it is gorgeous with Chanel Johns. But then I noticed... On children, um, oh, children rise, which is another composition of yours. What? Tell me about this—the messaging that you're conveying in your compositions. Well, the, for for peaceful world, that was uh, that was written during the the pandemic, and that's when uh, you know all the George Floyd stuff was happening. Um, there was a lot of riots going on. There was uh, a lot of division between people. Um, and on top of that, we couldn't go out and hang out with each other because of this, this pandemic. So that's where that song came from. But it really is just a, a song that reflects any war or anything, you know, that in order to, um, you know, we'll be uh, completely free when, when we're completely at peace, when, when people can, you know, um, 
you know, get together and, 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 and all this fighting and all the stuff going on, war. What a all message. All the terrible things. What Such a message. an so, important so, message. I just, so I just want to point out, folks, Thank you, before, before we uh, yeah. go out listening to Matt's incredible music, uh, that next week's All That Jazz, uh, our entire hour from 10 to 11 in the morning, from 4 to 5 in the afternoon, will be Ruth Griggs uh, forecasting for us with musicians and music what we're going to be treated to on Friday and Saturday of next week at the Northampton Jazz Festival. So please tune in for that. Um, so Ruth Griggs, you wanted to bring us yeah, out. Yeah, so, so again, um, uh, Matt is going to be performing at Fitzwillie's um, with his uh, Dwan's Tet uh, at Fitzwillie's on the Friday the 29th from 8 to 10. And then again, leading the jam session right next door at Toasted Owl from 10 to 11.30. Then if you love him as much as we do, come back to hear him with Venetia Gould on Saturday at the Unitarian Society from 4.30 to 5.45. We're going to take a few minutes to listen to Matt Dwanzik, uh and his piece, Peaceful, Peaceful World featuring Chanel Johns on vocals. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ruth. Of course. Thank you. is Talk the Talk. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday? Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at whmp.com. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. W-